Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Latest Shiny Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Spector. And with me, of course, is Mr. Rob Hirschfeld. Good afternoon, Rob. Stephen, hello. You know, Rob, I, I like recording podcasts on Friday afternoon. Uh, I feel more relaxed and uh, it's, I don't know what it is, but I, I, have a good, I have a good feeling about our new podcast today. That- I'm, I am looking forward to, this is, this is a uh, longtime friend of mine and super smart, so... I'll let, I'll let you, you carry on the introduction and, and get everybody excited. Perfect. So with us today is uh, Rocky Grober, who is currently, uh, when I asked Rocky what, if I needed to associate with her company, and she said that she's currently for hire, almost like a gunslinger, Rocky. I think of like the, the movie, The Magnificent Seven, and you're out there, you know, put it, you could put the team together. So that that's the message I'm going to be. You're the, what was the uh, actor in the original Magnificent Seven. I can't. Oh, Yul Brenner. Yul Brenner. Yul Brenner. Yul Brenner of, o- of Open Robert Source and Cloud. Um, we just watched it the other night. <laughs> it's a great movie. Yeah, the original is yeah. very good. Well, welcome to the podcast. So before we start, we'd like to uh, always have our uh, guests give a quick overview about themselves so uh, our listeners get some background. And then we'll jump into a discussion based on a, uh, a, a back and forth uh, tweet session you had with Rob. And uh, we'll go from there. Okay. So I've been around for a long time. I'm an electrical engineer by education. I got into software doing modeling and you know, it's a lot easier than, uh, especially analog hardware. I really like the detective aspect of it and the glue aspect. I, I'm a very much a systems engineer. And I was introduced to free software back during the time that Stallman was fighting uh, the fight for Emacs copyright and created the copy left in response to the Unipress lawsuit. But I never really, I didn't really get into open source until I got into cloud. I've been doing a lot of QA and software process, which is not a big, has not been a big thing in open source. That's that's the understatement of the century, (laughs) Rocky, unfortunately. Yeah. It's not a QA and quality assurance and even user experience is not those are those are expensive activities that are not well supported in open source sadly and right and that's actually part of uh, uh, my platform if you will uh, my my bully pulpit for open source that to really improve the the performance of open source and the uh, ability to get it more accepted, we need to bring those areas into open source and collaborate with them. Collaboration is key, and still QA and user experience are kind of second-class citizens. You talk about diversity, and those are in some ways at least as big diversity issues as location, experience, culture, color, sex. So that's that's one of my 
Well, Rob's heard it a number of times, so. <laughs> and this is why I want you on the show, because, <laughs> I mean, boy, there's so much in your background that you're, you know, that, that people don't understand and, and the perspectives you bring. So when, when we were when we were bumping through the OpenStack experience and we were talking about hidden influencers and these these people who performed essential roles and were forgotten, which is a lot of what you're describing here, um, you know, Rocky and I would, would get pulled into corner, right? You were one of the open the after stack uh, crew where we would we would go out after the summits and we would we would talk about how to, you know, after all that we learned, how do we improve the next experience? How do we bring in these voices? And and you were you were really you really had your pulse on what was going on in OpenStack in ways that people just didn't understand unless they got to sit down and talk with you, um, which I had the privilege to do quite a bit. And I, I'm trying to think how to recapture that gestalt here because so the key is here it's the ecosystem, the environment that everything plays into everything else. Everything is connected. And if you don't have a healthy, the healthy individual systems to communicate with, the, main, the whole system is less healthy. And QA is a perspective. It really is a mindset and approach that it doesn't matter how good of a developer you are, if you don't, if you've never been able to put on that that tester hat and actually ask the question, what am I missing? What simple things do I want to do with this that somebody else might not have thought of? Then you can never really do a great job on making sure your software is going to work for everybody. But here's so, but here's the challenge because right when when we've had these conversations, the those people who have those opinions are often quiet or not not heard right they're they're just ignored in 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 some of the development communities that I've seen and this has been our dilemma right I, I you know, are, I'm assuming you're, you're you know are, do you agree with that? Actually, it's worse than ignored. It. It literally, it's discriminated against. Uh, one well, that's, of the that's a, that's a powerful that's a powerful word. Um, I think it's, I think it's fair, but I I want to call it out. Right, this is there's actually a discrimination. Let me give you an example of this subtle discrimination, or not so subtle. This is the same thing that that women run into that people whose first language is in English, uh, people whose perspectives are different. My first OpenStack summit, I kept talking about QA and test. And the response I got was, well, QA folks really, yeah, the, they really don't provide anything. I've only known, and then the, the they come back with, except for this one QA person I know who was really, really, really good. And so there is an institutional view, and then there's the individual view when someone who is doing a good job interacts with a developer. So it's, yeah, one of my best friends is black kind of thing. 
Yeah, one of my QA friends is actually, you know, I have a QA friend. And I actually would tell folks who came out of QA that I met at the conferences what to expect from the attitude, which I think might have helped them to become members of the community because most of those folks I talked to went on to become members of the community, but all of them became developers within the community as contributors, and none of them went into the QA test side of things. Yeah, this is where we measure things on commits and people who are downstream um, are doing valuable work in communities and don't and don't have commits or don't have the same type of commits. And that's, right. that's, I, I have the same feeling about operators when I when you know, in, in with my, my job at RackN, right, we focus on operators. And, you know, it's a, it ends up being a self fulfilling prophecy in a lot of ways where because people feel like they don't get to have a voice, they don't speak up, they don't don't fight for design choices that that the community really needs, right? This to me is, you know, I look back on OpenStack and the operators in the environment, in the community were not given the voice that was necessary to make op to make OpenStack the, an operational success. Um, and and the, uh, it, it was, it, there was a discrimination point where people, they, they were not considered to have valid points. Uh, product managers, you know, we tried to get product <laughs> managers together. And I remember being in a room in Silicon Valley where basically they stood up and said, yeah, we could write all this stuff down, but nobody's going to listen to what we have to say. Uh, and they were the ones ultimately deciding budget. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. This is, this and, is on a rant, a rant cast element to it. Um, how do we get out of this cycle? OpenStack has matured to the point, and part of it is with uh, some pioneers in there, where we now have, they now have, uh, operators on the TC. Uh, one of the things that one of the rants I was on most of OpenStack was take a developer to work day. Most of the developers, especially in infrastructure open source, have no clue what a very large system be it data center, be it cloud, edge, IoT, whatever, uh, large databases, they have never experienced what it is to run a very large site or multiple large sites. If they sat in with operators for one day and just watched, watched uh, people figure out what what's going on whether good or bad and how to uh how to deal with it it would help a lot and in large infrastructure that's really key it's how often do you have to turn this over the fact that five nines sounds fantastic until you get a hundred thousand cores and then you're going to have a heck of a lot of down cores so Part of it is scale, part of it is bringing awareness and merging the communities. If if you're in a silo, everything looks great. If you're out in the real world, 
suddenly your theories don't hold water. You've got the real world actually coming in and messing things up. And there are, there are movements within the infrastructure open source community to fix some of that. For instance, uh, Charity Majors is scheduled to be a keynote speaker at one of the major QA conferences. Why? Because operators understand that having fewer bugs makes their life easier. And so there is some cross-fertilization happening there. But the two worlds of Q, QA test, well, test and, and development are still siloed. We need to change that. And that also gets to the point where the, the real test the, for these projects, these open source projects, they're projects because they're not complete products. They have code. They don't have everything else that you need to turn code into product. And a lot of open source developers don't understand that code is not all you need. So there's an education process that needs to happen and a widening and an exposure to these different disciplines. So one of the things you're describing, I think, is is being played out from a uh, in the, in the open source licensing discussion that's going on, and and I, I want we have two things to talk about. Uh, <laughs> we're talking about them. One of them is the is is open source, and then the other one is iterative design process, um, which is the subject of the tweet that Stephen mentioned in the intro, um, and and these are. Actually, these are coupled. So let me let me talk about the open source license for a minute, um, because right, the the purpose of having money in open source is to deal with this sustaining problem, right? The, the things you're describing are not uh, easy to fix. They're not things that have yeah. on somebody's desktop. Can can you elaborate on that, or or where you think you know open source should get funded or paid for? And and in fact, this is where. Uh, we, in fact, it ties in both with the, the Twitter conversation we had and a Twitter conversation I had, I was part of last night, mostly just following. I tend to be a lurker rather than a participant. Once I start participating, it gets kind of weird. <laughs> um, so having the code is great. And when you have open source developers, you get cool code, but most open source developers are kind of like dogs. They love to play with a new toy or like puppies. And, okay. and get it all slimy and tear it apart, and then they're bored. <laughs> well, by the time they get bored, that's when the software really is mature and usable. So what has to happen at that point and during the point where they're playing with it is that we need to introduce other, consider them toys or uh, other tools such as documentation. Uh, in the QA, in the test world, the CI, CD uh, environment where you check in code, it gets built, and then a bunch of tests get run on it. 
in the test world, that's not called testing. That's called checking because you know how it, you want it to work. You've written tests to demonstrate how it's supposed to work, but it doesn't deal with any of the outside issues of how other people think it should work and attempt to use it. It's integration from my, from my perspective, right? It's, if it, it, we hit this all the time, right? Something, you know, somebody's BIOS is set in a certain way and it causes things to wig out and there's no test that's going to cover that. We're testing the, the, the in, in the, the test world, the QA test world, that's called exploratory testing. Hmm. And so the discussion going on with, in the QA world is, so test automation you automate all these checks so that the people do, that who are real testers don't have to bother with the boring stuff other than automating it, doing it three times. Once to figure out what they need to test, once to, uh, ver to write the, the automation, and a third time to verify the automation works. And then the exploratory testing is going out there and we talk about the edges and exploring uh, the interactions, the user experience, the, uh, the real world that the code will run in and whatnot. And that is, like you said, integration, but it's, it's more than integration. It's figuring out how it interacts with the world beyond what the design has. And there are, they're try, attempting to get AI into that world too, but AI in that world is really hard too because you don't know what you don't know. Right. AI is built on, on patterns that you already have, right? They, you, yep. you might not have been able to interpret the patterns, but it's, it's not based on exploring beyond the known. Right. So it will help create better checks and maybe explore within certain bounds, but it still won't do that out-of-bounds stuff that is the meat of the test world. So, so this is actually now bounced into the tweet criteria, which is about learning patterns, right? Because the, the tweet started with um, actually a past guest, Mike DeKale, on on our show saying talking about you know, de, you know we were talking about defining edge and um you know <laughs> get really tied up and i have to define this edge stuff before i can do it and our experience has been the opposite right it's like go out and iterate and learn and and then so the 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 quote you came back with sort of in that was that you know if all you ever do is iterate it becomes difficult to recurse and so edge is recursive um how does that play into this open source dynamic that you're describing? Oh, the way the way it plays into it in many ways is this whole question of maturity. Developers iterate, and what again the unseen influencers is that that iteration is actually leading to recursiveness. The the projects are gaining more and more knowledge. So you're recursing down into expert level as you iterate to fix these individual problems. Some people will 
be able to view this maturation and understand it. And to others, it's just this black box that you, know, you just keep fixing things. And there's no system understanding. I think, in fact, that seems to be the key. A system is multiple layers, the recursion, and multiple connections. It's, a, it's a, an extremely heavily connected directed graph. And some people uh, tend, a lot of developers tend to go deep and not broad. And so they understand this one little piece and end up siloing themselves off. But to really understand a system, you have to do broad and deep. Um, in fact, there's an old, old AI search term back when uh, search was a thing in artificial intelligence, and it's called iteratively deepening A. So you iterate, and each iteration you go deep, and then you iterate again and go deep. And this actually might be doable in the software development world, and I think we saw some of that happening in OpenStack in that we started focusing different development cycles on specific, specific community goals. Those community goals were essentially system goals. How do we get everyone consistently to this particular layer, to this particular end goal, while letting each of the individual groups go deeper into their, uh, into their expertise. So it's program management, project management, <laughs> and maturation of the developer's understanding of how you build large software systems. Uh, that, that strikes me as one of these lessons learned from the communities that we're talking about. If, if you were not systemically, not listening to key constituents in using your software, the QA people, the product managers, the operators, you don't get that feedback. You're just always adding in the front. Is that, is that what you're saying? Well, you don't get that feedback. You're always adding in the front. But the developers still come up with that, and that's when they start listening to the other people generating feedback. Now, how do you get beginning developers up to speed on that so they don't have to learn it the hard way? And this is an area where, from my vast experience in systems companies, space, computer, hardware, uh, mainframes, to, to servers, to uh, mobile compute, where in some ways we, the open source community has thrown out all the lessons learned from corporate development. And some of those lessons are worth going back and looking at things like internships in group, things like coding standards, things like having specs. Now, for those folks who are really deep into a, a project and really know the guts of it, a lot of this stuff, stuff is unnecessary. But to maintain the community 
bring new people in, let old folks move on to something else. You need to have a number of these things that the corporate world discovered and maintained and did to be profitable and to keep their customers happy. And that's the key, keep their customers happy. Open source has less attachment to their customers. And so they, that needs to be strengthened too. I, I would actually essentially take this a little bit further because one of the things that's nice about open source for developers is they don't, they don't have a boss. So if they have an opinion or they have a way to do something, they can just go do it. Um, and we, we saw this a lot in, you know, I, I actually, I see it a lot in, in every project, so I won't, don't need to single any of them out. If you actually have customers paying money for things and you have to build stuff that matches what they're willing to pay for, sometimes you don't, your, your decision-making process is different. You're not following the, the, and I'm air quoting, purity of your vision. You're, 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 you're following what people need in the field. And, my experience has been those can be very, very different things. Is that is that part of this this challenge? Well, they can be very, very different things. But as an open source developer, yeah, you're scratching an itch. But also, there is part of that itch is to build something of significance. Right. If nobody uses your software, is it significant? I'm going to raise a flag, though, because running a data center and scratching it, are, you, you might love data centers, but nobody's running data center infrastructure. I mean, this is where you and I are specialists, right? Nobody's running data centers uh, for, for to scratch an itch. These are, these are things that are run to fund for funded activities, um, yeah. even if it's if it's curing cancer, it's you, you know the, the servers aren't the free part of that that work. There is no free part of that work. Right. Well, and that's where uh, some of these guys scratching their itch. They get to a point where either they can make, either they're independently wealthy and they're just coding for the hell of it, or they need someone. I am not imagining a data center, uh, somebody running a data center saying, oh, boy, I hope that millionaire shows up this week to fix those bugs that are that are causing us to not be able to patch our bios. It doesn't <laughs> well, that's where you have. Uh, and this is where the ecosystem of open source comes in. You have these companies that are created around specific types of software. There is an itch, but part of that itch is has to be to fix those bugs because everybody has to get paid. So you start getting to the point where the itch is to do this big fancy or this big important thing and then the the customers pay you to, by the way, make it more usable so that we'll continue to pay you. Yeah. I, it's a balance. I still, I still have another hour of questions, Stephen. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, but, so is there, is there a, you know, if we have to maintain this software and it, to, to run and respect operations and things like that, 
are we in a crisis where the the people you know open source does not force that that monetization discussion or is is good nature and people needing to pay for sustaining enough ah excellent question another thing that comes out of this is to realize that not there there's always talk of developer superstars and all these other things and and testers are just uh folks who can't develop and that's an attitude from these developers who like to scratch itches but the world is made of lots of different kinds of people some of them really do get pleasure for from making something work right that they found was not working right there are people who actually like sustaining engineering but nobody's funding them to do that for open source or you have to find a company that will fund you for it that's making uh, a small profit off of providing service to customers around a project and providing customer and answering customer needs around a project. What we need to do in open source is get beyond just developers and we've talked about QA and we've talked about docs and we've talked about all these others. Sustaining engineering, there needs to be a way to provide paying jobs to people who want to sustain open source code. We've got the problem of burnout from maintainers because they're the only ones that are fixing it and they've got too many, they have to have a day job to go along with it because nobody will pay them. So the question is, how do we get those folks who are using open source, who complain about the bugs all the time, to realize that they need to provide funding for software maintenance in the open source world. And if they provide software maintenance funding, then there's a good probability that developers or engineers will come and answer their call. With, without a lever, I don't see people doing this is my this is the dilemma it, it, you get it for free if you pay for it as a service and so yeah that's that, that's not an open source model it's a services model it without a lever where you have to pay for something i i don't see companies signing up to say i want sustaining engineering they need it so but i don't see the the lever the lever is bugs and features that they find missing. Usually it's more than one company that has the same problem. And if you tell people, uh, and it's, it's a return on investment thing. Uh, they, they were paying a private company so many thousands a year to main, for software maintenance for their uh, proprietary software and to get bugs fixed. If you tell them, well, if you pay this much, which is less than what you were paying to this foundation, 
that runs uh, jobs. None of them found it, and and so there you have you had an idea. Um, yep, to solve this problem, right? Which be which which would right now the foundations are marketing, right? Trademark control and marketing. They they need to be sustaining engineering. They need to add that, but it needs to actually again. It's an ecosystem. So beyond marketing, uh, they're sustaining engineering. If they want their uh, software to continue on and for their market to, to continue to be there and to grow. But you can't say, uh, Linux Foundation, I want, uh, I want to pay for software maintenance, but I want to pay one price for all the different software, and some of it's Apache, and some of it's Linux Foundation, some of it's Eclipse, and some of it's open stack and some Rocky, of it Rocky, you're, you're banging the table i hear your passion on this <laughs> yeah it was actually worse i was banging banging the laptop so you the the companies don't care which foundation fixes that they just want to pay for their software fixes they they just want to be able to get software fixes and they're willing to to pay for it to some extent as long as it's less than what they would have paid for their private software. And so the foundations all have to get together and go to some sort of neutral source like open source initiative or something along those lines that will take this money and distribute it to developers willing to make those those fixes. Oh, boy, I, I, I appreciate the nirvana of your vision. I it's a jobs board. It's a it's a gigs yeah, jobs board. I and have, you know, there's uh, to to give you the the other side of it. I I think that the profit motive, driving a company to improve efficiencies and 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 fine tune their software so that it requires less maintenance for each customer, which I don't I don't see in that in your suggestion, is 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 missing. I, I think it's missing from open source in general. Um, and that this this is the yin and yang of of how we develop software that I'm struggling with. Um, so it's it's missing in open source in general. One of the interesting things is is if there's this gigs job board, uh, those companies that are actually working on specific software, they can actually get paid for doing that. Companies like Elastic, companies like uh, Postgres, the uh, PBD, um, companies like Percona. If some customer or customers say, we need this, and Percona says, well, we wanted to do that, but we didn't have any money to do that, and these guys are willing to pay, we'll take that job on. So the the funnel is most open in those areas where there are already companies that are supporting and growing the open source software, but that funnel exists for everybody. Yeah, I'm, I love, I, there's, there's, a, there's an idealist part of me that loves that, and I think that I could see them gaming it at the same time and saying, oh, yeah, we're opening up a whole bunch of bugs here for our team to go get bounties to fix. <laughs> um, because, because, I mean, you and I both watch 
people gamify OpenStack commit histories, right? It's uh, these are well, these are and, and part of this is where you have the project managers and the program managers and the testers and the the docs folks. If each project had a project or program manager, they could actually uh, prioritize the bugs. In a normal company, the bugs are not prioritized by the developers. The bugs are prioritized by a team who are champions for the end users. And there are actually priorities and severities that make it more obvious which bugs should be fixed first. For instance, a showstopper bug is where you can't run the code. But then the, the priority is, is this one customer that has this problem or is all the customers have this problem? And it doesn't matter whether the developer thinks that the customers are using it wrong or not. The customers have a problem and the developers are told, you know, this is really important that it gets fixed. Uh, there are other bugs that are just kind of, that there are workarounds for, there are, and whatnot. But this whole, this whole process of prioritizing bugs as a team of development, QA, ops, uh, product managers who represent the product, the, the, the users, they sit together and say how important this bug is to fix when it gets addressed. And that's, again, something that open source doesn't have because it doesn't have much community or interaction with those other disciplines. And we need to get those other disciplines engaged and demonstrate to the developers that they're not just second-class citizens. So you have you have you've brought it full circle, which I love. Um, listeners, these are these are the topics we want to discuss. I I I wanted to get Rocky to to articulate her points and why. Which thank you, Rocky, for doing really well. I we want to hear Stephen. I want to bring other people on the show and and talk about this. How do we? You know, these are really serious issues. They're not single faceted dump more money into it, you know, change the license type of, of problems. We have to understand the system. You know, Rocky's bringing up huge points about the system. Um, and we want to hear from other people and we want to keep this discussion going. I, Rocky, I could go for another two hours because there's so much more. Uh, we don't get it, but you and I can continue this in Twitter and get other people involved. How do, how do people get in touch with you? How do they hire you? How do they give you a job? All they need to do is connect with me and I'll talk to them and convince them uh, where I could be useful to them. I, Rocky is an amazing resource. If you are dealing with open source, open communities, I, I haven't seen a, a tea reader, tea leaf reader in open source as good as you. You're just, I, I would go to I'd call up Rocky and say, all right, Rocky, I don't get it. Why is this company doing this weird thing in community? And, and she'd say, well, it's because they talk to these people who talk to those people who are related to those people and they're trying to accomplish this. I'm like, oh. It's all connected and that's the key. And sometimes, and right now, what the open source community needs to do is keep an open mind and 
start hearing and exploring connections to other communities. And let's actually continue this, this whole discussion. Let's pick specific topics out of this discussion and let's get more of a panel together for each of those topics and explore it in further sessions. Like for instance, the licensing issues uh, for how to convince open source that testing in QA beyond just the automated checks is something they need to talk to folks about. Introduce the communities to each other. So how, how do we get in touch with you? What's your Twitter handle? Is there a good, good way to reach? Is that the best way to reach you? Uh, Twitter handle is at Grober Rocky. Grober is capitalized. Rocky is capitalized. Um, it's an ugly Twitter handle, but hey, it's mine. It's you. <laughs> and Gmail is always good. Rocky G at Gmail. Rocky, thanks a lot. And uh, we'll get you back on the show sometime really soon. Thank cool. you. Thank you.